Welcome to Sober Nation FM, a podcast network dedicated to sharing experience, strength, and hope so that you may continue to live your best life of recovery. The Sober Podcast Network is brought to you by Sober Nation. Do you want to live a healthy, sober life? Sober Nation is the world's leading online recovery community. Find support, resources, stories of hope, and even an online treatment program at SoberNation.com. Live a happy life. Be comfortable in your skin and join the recovery movement. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. Now enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover two resources on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover Two Resources, and I'm here today with Wayne Campbell. He's the founder and president of Tyler's Light. Wayne, welcome. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you in. You've done some great work over the course of the last five years. You founded Tyler's Light in honor of your son, Tyler. Can you tell us a little bit about your family's journey? Well, we have, uh, it's almost like a calendar that's pre-Tyler and then post-Tyler. It's kind of odd, but um, the journey before or after, which would you be most interested in for this conversation? So I think a little bit of before, and then we'll go okay. with after. Um, as a family, um, typical Midwestern middle-class home, three boys, heavily sports-oriented, uh, mother, father, um, two working you know, parents um, doing our thing. Pretty happy, pretty... Uh, things are going well. Kids are, you know, you as parents, we try to keep them in the... In the in the between the gutters of a bowling alley, we'll call it, and and make sure nothing happens. So, Tyler's the oldest of our three sons, and uh, pretty gifted athletically, academically, socially. One of those kids that just kind of has a lot of gifts, you know. Um, and super super caring, nice person. Um, we didn't have any signs of drug use in our home ever. Tyler goes off to college to pursue his athletic career at the uh, University of Akron to to play football. Um, so he's 18, 19 years old at 19 this 19 years old, yes, okay. heading into college. And the other kids in the family are how old? They're all five years apart, so at that five time, years. yeah, they're, you know, so just starting high school and one may be in middle school at the time, so... Okay. 
Um, all ours are five years apart, and uh, things are going really well. We're having a ball his first and second year of school, going and watching him play. And, you know, he's, he's the leader of the pack, I call it, for the two other brothers and great big brother. And and uh, so things couldn't be better. Um, so there's absolutely no reason at all for us to even have our radar up, right? Yep. Looking for, for any activity like that because that's not our house. That's not how we raised our kids, you know, the story. Hmm. So uh, about two years into college, um, just some things looking back now, they're, you know, they were all warning signs, but at the time they just looked like little blips in a radar. Um, you know, Tyler's uh, personality, a little bit change, uh, lack of being able to manage you know, his funds, um, not wanting to see parents or family as often as before because he's a very family-oriented person. All those things start to kind of unveil themselves. Yeah, and as a dad, looking back on it now, you you probably talk to him and ask him about those things, and you got the answers that you wanted every time, and you said, no, we're good here, right? We're absolutely good here. Give all the right answers. Here's why these things are happening, you know, because he's a now a 20, 21-year-old young man, pretty uh, clever, right? Um, so, and probably didn't know that he had a problem himself either. So all the questions we would ask, there was always a good answer. So they just kind of held us off, you know, from, from getting into it earlier. Um, so about year three is when those answers weren't good enough anymore for, for us as parents. Um, and some things, you know, really start to show that, uh, Hey, there's got to be more to his lack of controlling his funds. There's, there's his personality change. There's there's got to be a better reason for these. So you had lack of funds, withdrawal a little bit, and overall describe the personality. How, how yes. Tyler change just um, very irritable, unhappy, depressed. Mm. Um, was the most sociable thing before, not so sociable now. Would would be extremely happy with just the two or three people that he's hanging out with on the team now as opposed to being the social butterfly. Um, and, and didn't want to spend much time with his, you know, with his family. Um, so even when you come home for, you know, holiday breaks, it was just maybe a few hours and sitting in and I got to go. Yeah, I got to go. So and prior to that, you guys. Absolutely. Tight knit unit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what next? So, you know, we, uh, after asking another series of questions, you know, year three and didn't get the correct answers and other things start to expose themselves. Um, and I would drop in from time to time, um, you know, at, at school, at school. Yeah, just to exactly. see yeah. if I could see something. So I, I knew something was going on, but I could never put my finger on drugs until it really exposed itself. And he kind of finally came out and said, you know, um, you know, I have a problem. Um, and because we would no longer, you know, help him financially, we were paying rent and said, that's it. No more. There's got to be a reason. So he broke down and said, I've, you know, I got a problem um, that I'm getting help for. And he was already been, you know, talking to a therapist, maybe on staff there at Akron um, counselor. So, um, so at that point, what was the problem? Can you describe that? His problem? Uh, yeah. Well, at that time, yes, it was um, it was prescription pharmaceuticals, uh, prescription pain medication. Um, so we started tracing it back to um, a surgery he had after his second year 
Um, and, and then we, that's where we start noticing the changes. The spring after his, uh, you know, winter surgery, the thing started to change. Shoulder surgery. Yes, yeah. shoulder surgery mm-hmm. for an injury in football. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, we can trace it, you know, to that point. Okay. Um, so now he's, you know, by the time he unveils this, you know, he's got a year into it. He's a full-blown opiate addict. So what's he taking? Percocet, Vicodin, Oxycontin, you know, you name it. If it's an opiate, that's that's what he's using. Okay. And at that point, had the prescriptions run out? And was he buying it on the street? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yes, and that's, you know, that was kind of the common theme. Um, and as things uh, unravel, we realized, you know, the the reason the quarterback had gotten kicked off the team, you know, nine months earlier was because of this. That got unveiled. And then other kids on the team were having this issue and they were having discipline problems and, you know, academic problems. So, you know, this unraveling of a, of a huge problem um, was staring us in the face. You know, what are we going to do now? Yeah. So what next? So now it's time to, you know, get him some professional help. Uh, realize what they were trying to do there at Akron, you know, go to a meeting once or twice a week during school and everything else. That wasn't going to change anything. So we brought him home um, and uh, and uh, pulled him out of school. So we got him, you know, into what they called outpatient treatment in Columbus, Ohio, um, for a, a six-week interval, and then tried to send him back to college. And that didn't work very well. So within 30 days, he was back to the same routine because you're in the same environment. You know, the same things and people, places and things. Yes, people, places, things, and you're doing the same stuff and you're back to working out and your body's starting to hurt. And you knew before that takes care of all those, you know, uh, pain. So he was back to using and couldn't pay rent. So it's time to bring him home for good now. Um, that was just a, hey, let's get it fixed during Christmas break, but now let's. Let's bring it home and, and uh, see if we can get this thing fixed for good. So, you know, at that point, as a parent, you're thinking, you know, this is a blip on the radar screen. I, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, but we've got this shared experience. And you psych up, you think it's a, a blip on the radar screen, and we'll get through it. So is that the kind of mindset that you, you had? Oh, absolutely. Um, whatever it is, Tyler's an extremely strong-willed person. We will get through this and correct it, get back on track and, you know, get down, uh, down, down track to your career. Um, this is just a small infraction. Um, it's, it's like underage drinking. Oops, you got caught, right? Okay, straighten up. Don't ever do it again. Get back in, get back in line, right? But boy, in retrospect, it's so far nope. from underage drinking. Yes. It's just so far. So far. And just to jump off on a little tangent here, I, I think an important lesson that certainly I learned, and, and i pass it back to you, Wayne, in just a second, that this is so different from that that it isn't even funny. And if I had it all to do over again, I absolutely would. It's alarm bells. It's alarm bells mm-hmm. as, as soon as, you know, you realize that a loved one has an opioid uh, problem, addiction problem. Um, that's so addicting, and it's such a slippery slope, and they go down that so quickly. No, you're 100% right. And, and when you talk about that, it's the lack of education there at the beginning because um, you really don't know anything about addiction unless you've experienced it. So that lack of understanding 
lack of understanding about opiates, never in my wildest dream did I think that something they gave you for pain can be so addictive. And then what is that addiction? Is it something you can just say, I'm going to stop today? Or does it take a physical, mental um, toll on you till you're not going to walk away? You need professional help for long stretches of time. None of these, you know, were, were in our arsenal um, of, of helping your children. You know, you have this little, we'll call it a, a tool, a toolkit, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't read that book. Dr. Mm-hmm. Spock's book on, an, on if your child becomes addicted. That's not one that I read when they were young. No. Everything else I was prepared for as a parent, you know, what you've experienced. So this one we weren't ready for yeah. at all. And let's, it's just a blip in a radar. He will just get through it and he'll, you know, just will mark, chalk this up as a six month, 12 month little interval that, you know, again, like an underage drinking little infatuation. So we, you move him back home, moving back home, get settled in. Yep. What's next? And then we, we do the outpatient therapy again. Um, that wasn't Glen Bay. That was no, that nearby. was uh, it was in, in town here at OSU East uh, Talbot Hall. So we did that again, and seemed things seemed to to look better. Um, and then he's enrolled in a small community college and get, get back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's he gets sidetracked again. Um, and it's you know what triggers these things? Is it depression? Um, he had a chance. He didn't want to go back to the University of Akron. Um, after he did his outpatient stay, they, you know, he got back into the gym and called the new coach. We had a new coach at the time. And so, hey, I'm, I'm ready to come back. And they said, well, you'd have to walk on again because he was a walk-on when he first started the University of Akron. So he had, you know, excelled and, and succeeded and became a scholarship player. So uh, he didn't want to go through that again. I thought, boy, that's that's a real slap in the face that you know you've already you know got to that point. You're looked at as one of the leaders of the team. Now you have to start all over again. And he said, I'm not going to go do that again, um, especially under a new coach. So he decided not to. And uh, that had to be demoralizing for him. Very much so. He got a call from his uh, his previous coach, who was at the University of Colorado, and called to say, Hey, do you have eligibility left? He said, Yes, I have another year left. And he said. Uh, come out here for spring for the spring game. We need a safety. You could play here for your final year. So he was excited. Uh-huh. So you know that triggers. Hey, I'm yeah. going to do this again. That's that's what he loves. So he took a, a flight and went out and watched spring game and and you know came back. He was like, super excited. But now we had to jump through some hoops with the NCAA. Uh-huh. And because he had you know left school in the middle of the semester, um, you know what's his eligibility status? All those different intricate things. Sure. And after many phone calls and emails uh, from the university, both universities and the NCA realized he's not eligible to play there. He has to be in school there for a year before he could play there. So depression said. I was unaware of that. I, okay. We didn't know yeah, either. Yeah, right. Yeah, we learned. Yeah. Um, so did t- we, uh, he, depression sets in and he's, wow, the thing that you love the most is, is gone for good. Um, so we think he probably started using again. Um, but this time, you know, we see signs that's changed from prescription pain medication to possibly heroin, which we didn't know the connection at the time at all. Hmm. So we're, you know, finding things and looking them up on the internet. 
Um, but then we found that out. That's was okay. It's time to get serious about treatment. You need to go inpatient, Glen Bay, for as long as the you know insurance will pay. Mm-hmm. And how long did he end up going to Glen Bay? For about twenty eight days. Glen Bay is uh, northeast of Cleveland. Very uh, well known, beautiful actual uh, campus for a rehabilitation facility. And we had heard of the you know its reputation and. And uh, worked really hard to try to get in. And I remember calling there every day, two, three times a day, because they didn't have any beds. That's the, the common theme nationally, is there aren't enough beds. Yeah. And uh, so I remember it was a Saturday morning, and, and I called again. And I happened to be coaching first base for my youngest son's 12-year-old baseball team and, and just had to keep trying, keep trying to get him in. And he wanted to go really bad um, to treatment. And uh, I remember them saying, Mr. Campbell, you've called here every day for a week, two and three times a day. I said, I know. And he said, "Uh, how far away are you? I said, I'm three and a half hours away. He said, well, you get Tyler in a car, and by the time you get here, we'll have a bed. I said, outstanding. I was so excited. So I, during the change of an inning, I told the other coach, I said, hey, you take Alex, our youngest. I got to take off. I got to go home. Got something to take care of. Important. We didn't. Nobody knew what we were taking care of because we didn't had, hadn't told anybody about Tyler's addiction yet. So he was going to bring my son home. So Tyler and I got into the car, and, uh, and he was excited to go. And we made the three-and-a-half-hour trip to to Glen Bay, um, in which Tyler stayed um, 28 days. And there was a, a hiccup you know, in that also that uh, the insurance company – had called about two weeks in and said, okay, Tyler's done. He needs to come home. We said, what do you mean he's done? And, and the facility never called. well, his, that's all his insurance is going to pay for. And we had school district insurance. That's about as good as you get mm-hmm. on the market, on the yeah. private market. So, And my wife just basically cried to him on the phone and said, you can't. I mean, he's not ready. Counselors will tell you he's not ready. He's, two weeks is not going to do anything. Need to stay in there for a full thirty days at least, and in some aftercare. So he, uh, they agreed and let him stay another week or two. So I think it ended up to be a total of twenty-eight days. But it's it's insurance driven, unfortunately. Not are you finished with care? But if we go into the hospital, we don't leave because the insurance says time to leave with an IV hanging out of your arm. You you know you yep. you get to leave when you're when you're you know, cured or it's, you know, the, the treatment's over, whatever. So he had to leave. Um, and my wife went and picked him up, um, on a Thursday about noon by herself, which was uncharacteristic because she doesn't want to drive that far by herself. So I had offered to go and my sister, some other family members had offered to go, you know, with her, it's a long drive. And mm-hmm. she goes, no, it's, I want to go by myself. So then her and Tyler, basically on the way back, they got to spend eight hours together. Um, made a few stops at the relative's house, um, one being at a farm out in Mount Vernon. So you get to spend eight really good quality one-on-one, you know, time together. Because then you look at, you know, how this happened. That it was kind of a, that was your send-off. Um, after coming home, Tyler... Had overdosed within 12 hours of, of getting home. Um, I was not home. I think it was my my weekly golf league or something that I did after work. So uh, 
He then, um, you know, gets his phone. He hasn't had his phone in a, in a month, and he was going to head out to a meeting, AANA, some type of meeting, because, you know, they require you to go to 90 meetings in 90 days um, soon after treatment. And so he was, you know, got get on the line or something or got a book out and find out where the next meeting is and what time. So my wife had offered to go with him. And uh, she goes, he goes, no, no, you, you know, I have to, I have to do this by myself. So I'm, I'm good. I'll go by myself. She goes, okay, but I'll go with you, you know, just to spend the time with you. Um, so we left the house um, for a few hours. We assumed that he went to a meeting. Um, he came back at, let's say, 10 or 11 o'clock and I was home then and I got to spend some time with him about an hour um, and we talked about you know the future as opposed to the past let's not dwell on you know the negatives of the addiction you know let's, let's see what you're going to do now so we talked about um, you know him finishing school and he said I, I think I want to make a career of uh, being a counselor I want to help young people which I thought was admirable mm. Um, he was in physical therapy at the time, so I said, "That's great." Um, I said, "Hey, since you're done with football, because you know your eligibility and the you know, time running out," I said, "But he can go to a smaller school and play." He goes, "No, I'm done, Daddy." He said, "If I get hurt again, you know, I'm going to cross paths with with opiates, pain relievers, and and I'd rather not go through this cycle again." So in his mind, I think he was done. He was, you know, he had cleared the woods. Um, I said, well, I'm coaching um, at this high school. Do you want to come and help me coach? He goes, absolutely. He said, uh, but tomorrow morning I'm going to sleep in because I, you know, in, in treatment, you're up at six o'clock in the morning and you go to bed at 10. It's very regimented. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, that's fine. So you get to sleep in on Monday. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Friday. It's the last day of the week and, and we'll start on Monday together. Um, fine. So that's, um, that's the last time that we get to talk. Um, he had used um, the privacy of his bedroom that night um, and I went off to practice early at 6 a.m. and uh, you know the, the phone started ringing at about 9 or 10 o'clock you know and from home something was wrong so that's kind of how ours transitioned wow. uh, you know obviously that's that's a life-changing moment mm-hmm and your family has done some amazing things to move on from that and put that in a positive light. And so tell us about how you really rebuilt your lives. Well, how do, and, and I always ask parents, how do, how do you describe that, that emotion, that feeling, that shock um, when, you know, a coroner you know, tells you or, you know, law enforcement that your your son's gone it's you know it's no longer gonna gonna ask him a question why how did this happen what were you thinking any of those things you know that empty hollow very weird feeling um you know it's almost like it's a it's a coldness that comes over you and then you don't you can't tell for the next week if you've eaten you know anything today you don't remember um you're just in the fog so, uh, about two weeks later, our community slash friends neighborhood just created a meeting at a local um, establishment, and so you know, there was twelve or fifteen dads around the table, and 
invited me and said, we're, we're going to do something. We don't know what, but we're going to, we need to talk about this. This is more prevalent than, you know, most people think. And if it can happen to your family, it can happen to any one of our families. Wow. That's profound. Yes. It was, I mean, it was not driven by our family at all. So I went out of obviously curiosity, but I was still numb. They were, they were talking and I can't remember half the conversations, but, um, you know, went from, having a, a golf outing in memory of, which I wasn't really fond of that idea, or let's be vigilantes and go out and take care of all the drug dealers. You know, these ideas crossed the table. None of them were very good at the beginning. Um, but, you know, it was more of we have to inform everybody. And then it became a weekly meeting. And then they formed a board. And I remember the election of the board, and there were still 15 dads attending these meetings. And and the board was, you know, being elected, and, and I got so nervous and sick at my stomach, I, I went to the bathroom, and I thought, maybe when the election's over, you know, the, all the positions will be taken. I don't have to take one, because I still wasn't ready to do anything. And I came out, and there was still a secretary's position open, so I took that um, and just kind of followed them for a while. And then I realized... so. This is your community mm-hmm. that basically started Tyler's Light and started the the board and elected everyone, <laughs> and, and you I took was, the, the the secretary's position. And I was this an is, innocent bystander. It's a phenomenal story, and it's you know that's a lot of love, family, yeah, family of, neighborhood, I guess, yeah. uh, well, not family, you know, neighborhood friends. Yes, um, not entire community because. Most of the community still thinks that that's a choice, you know. But yeah. so yeah, really close friends and and learning later, you know, at that first meeting, I said, well, some of them I didn't know who were in the room. I just asked everybody around, you know, state who you are, and mm-hmm. and uh, then the why is why are you in this room? And that got interesting because there were half a dozen in that room that this was in their home also, which we'd have never thought. Never guessed. And it never would have come up. Never would have came up. Mm-hmm. But by this happening to this person that had that reputation in the community, that made them okay with talking about it. Yeah, a leader in the community. Yes. So it took a tragedy, yes, with a person of his reputation or um, popularity, if you want to call it that, to happen. And the shock. You know, in, in awe of, wow, how did it happen to that family, to that kid? Then it's happening in our house, so I need to be involved because I don't want this to happen to our child. So a lot of people will get involved because that was the reason, to protect. Yeah. You know. Smart. Yeah. So you became secretary. Mm-hmm. What next? Um, it started, you know, moving as to what are we going to do? And, and then I realized... Um, into it, we're gonna we're gonna educate our community. We don't know how. We're gonna make a video. We're gonna you know have town hall meetings. And I realize I need to be out in front of this because it doesn't make sense. You know, I'm the secretary, not doing much. And so then I had a meeting. I said, listen, I probably need to be the the leader, president, and everybody else maybe reshuffle. So the president was happy that yes, thank you. You know, it, it needs to be you and yeah. We just, you know, we bumped into some people that in their professions were able to help us create educational videos and then seemed to be going into, you know, who was going to be our audience? It's our youth. 
because um, you can't get parents to come out for anything like this. Um, Is that right? You've struggled to get parents. If you hold a meeting, it's going to be the drug education for your community, mm-hmm. and the people you're going to get there are ones that um, have an active addict son or daughter that's already public because they've been incarcerated and this, that, and the other, and they're just in it. They can't be modest anymore. You know, it's it's already out there. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, in these you know nice suburban, educated homes, you're not getting those parents out because by coming to something like that, they're raising the flag that this is in their home, and it still has such a negative social stigma attached to it. We're not ready to blow the cover, you know, because you still have, you know, your son or daughter that has to get through this. And then, you know, continue on with their life without having this, you know, this attachment stigma. to them, this stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, we all want to fix it and, and, you know, in our own homes and then get them back on the right track. So it's very hard to, to get parents to come out. We, in our first town hall meeting, we might have attracted 100 parents. Hmm. Well, that would seem Which to be a pretty good number. It's a pretty good number, but that shock to our community was there. Um, we had then lost another uh, community um, member, a 20-year-old, perfect household model. Mom's on city council. Dad owns his own business. That that home, two-sport athlete, and it happened there shortly after Tyler. So now I think the community was ready. Okay, this is happening to some really nice homes, um, nice families. So let's you know, let's go listen. Um, but for the most part, and I've talked in many community events, it's hard. Every community struggles to get people out because of the stigma yeah. um, and, and the, the lack of understanding of addiction, that people still think it's a choice. Some is, you know, to start, but to become addicted, it's not a choice. Chronic that brain they disease. Have. Yes, yeah. it is a, it is a disease. So. Yeah. That's hard to overcome, so we thought, well, why beat our heads against the wall and trying to get parents out? Let's get into schools because it's a captive audience, and there's no curriculums out there that are, that are you know, t- attacking this. Um, so let's let's see if we can create something that you know, takes maybe an hour, um, 45 minutes, that we can try a different method of, of educating our youth as opposed to just throwing a bunch of stats at them. Let's, you know... Um, so what was the different tact? It was, we have, to, we have to present to them like they, they live their lives, like they learn. Because of social media, their world is a three to five minute world um, with the YouTube videos and so forth and, and how fast they, you know, the Snapchats and everything. So they don't, they can't take a lot of information for long periods of time. It's short. It's two, three-minute videos with information. Go over it again. Hand out some freebies. So we get them engaged, and we use their intelligence, um, not against them, but um, for them. And so an hour later, they won't know that they've been sitting there for long because they've learned so much, you know, so many more statistics, how big this is, because some of them don't think outside of their, their community, their classroom. Um, they don't know that this is happening outside of their you know community and, and across the state and across the nation. How the different drugs, 
maybe they seem harmless because they're pharmaceutical drugs, how they are related to the illegal drugs, what the long-term effects are, you know, when the, the, you know, how this affects the brain and when the brain, you know, actually stops forming. So there's a lot of things that they don't know that they're going to learn. This is your abnormal drug education um, presentation. But we used their information and we polled a bunch of them before we got started. And they said, number one, don't tell us what to do. Do not come into a, an auditorium and tell us what to do. Okay. Case in point, but I'm a tape, type A personality and I didn't understand that at all. I'm yeah. going to tell you how to do it, when to do it, and all that stuff. Sure. So we had to, to back up. And they said, uh, whatever you, you, you bring to us or, or create it, it's got to be real. It's got to be something that's real. Don't give us, if you do drugs, this, this could be you know, a repercussion of doing drugs. So by having these short videos of, of young people that became addicted telling their story in a short you know, three to four minute segment, that's real to them. Mm-hmm. And then when possible, we bring in a person that's in recovery, that's young and articulate and tell their story. And they absolutely love that. The place becomes motionless because they want to hear you know, this person talk and they can relate to them because of their age. Yeah. Because I'm a dad standing in front of them. Right. And, you know, what draws them or connects me is then telling them Tyler's story. So they don't learn why I'm there until like 15 or 20 minutes into the presentation. Hmm. So which is kind of the beauty of the whole thing um, is they think they're just going to have some fun talking about statistics. And and then they realize here comes the real part. That's why that guy's here. Hmm. And that Tyler guy looks like a normal kid. He looks like me. You know, he looks like my cousin. He looks like my boyfriend. Um, He was just a normal high school kid. They went on to college, and all of a sudden, because he took some prescription pills for you know surgery, now he's gone. Is that how this works? So it's relating all those things, put them all together to paint a picture. So you've been throughout the country presenting this. Yes, I have dashed across the country. We've been in uh, in nine states, uh, primarily the Midwest, um, but we have been to California, um, and it's you know they. We've been fortunate enough to be featured on things like 60 Minutes. Um, we did HBO Real Sports, and we did a documentary with DirecTV. So sometimes people see these and, and um, did these made-for-television events. So people see these and then contact our website. So, yeah, a mom in Burbank, California, um, at, a, at a private bilingual school paid for us to come out. Next thing you know, it's Boston, Massachusetts, and it's Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and then it's, you know, the easy ones, the Kentuckys, the Ohio, West Virginia, Indiana, things we can drive to. Um, So we've been fortunate um, in that respect. So how about the measure of effectiveness? And that's a really tough one to get your arms around. But, I mean, at some point in time, you have to look at it and say, okay, are, are we effective? In, you know, stopping this, stemming the tide with the young kids. Mm-hmm. We want them not to start. So how do, how do you how do you track that? And that's a tough one because if, if you ever want any type of um, public, you know, um, money to help the cause to keep, you know, you get your resources to keep this thing going, is that's, you know, it has to be measurable. How do, how do you measure your effectiveness? And that is tough. Um, we do a, it's a simple, you know, three to five minute survey after 
they can do on their phones, they can get on a computer. And we just want to see if, you know, was this different? Was it effective? Are you more apt to talk now or speak up if you see a friend or relative in, in need, in danger? Um, and they all say it's like 85% response, 90 yes. This was different. Um, I'm more apt to speak out now, speak up, if I see something going on with a friend. Okay. Which is great. Yeah, the numbers are great there. So, yes. Now, then we decrease the use. You can't tell because, you know, schools have very limited time to give you because of the curriculum. We didn't go in and do a pre-presentation, you know, survey, evaluation, and do a post. So, we're just grateful for the time that the schools give us um, to talk to their students. Sure. It's tough to get a handle on those things. It really is. You know, you almost like to, and there's a lot of schools that are looking at drug testing now. Mm-hmm. And you almost need that, you know, so a baseline, if you will. Right. And to determine, okay, what's where's the problem stand, uh, you know, going in. Right. And now we've done this for this school year. What's right. our difference there? Right. That type of thing. And, of course, the private schools are, you know, in an enviable position because they can do that. Mm-hmm. But most of the schools in America no. can't do that. It's not practical. No, and and that's tough. It's it's the intangible answer. What you know? What is the answer? We get a lot of really good feedback from the teachers, from administration. They write a letter. We use it for recommendations when going into another school. Um, how impactful that was! That for the next two weeks, students were coming into the office, talking to coaches and counselors about things going on that they had never done before. So I guess that's our you know, but we don't measure that. That's just another school that says, that was great. Thank you very much. We have had positive um, results from it. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, Let's talk about another program that you're actively involved in, supporting Drug-Free Clubs of America. You sponsored a couple of them? Yes. We started in in the Pickerington schools as the community that I live in. We have two um, large high schools, and we ran across this program, and we call it our Step 2. I go into a school and talk to the students and it's like the, you know, a good movie, the wow moment, and it lasts an hour. Like any good movie, how long do we remember that? At our age, middle age, you don't remember it as long as you used to. But students will remember, you know, movies, songs, things like that. And they'll remember, you know, the lesson there. But what's the reinforcement? Um, we can't go in every year and, and do this presentation. You'd have to change it, you know, tremendously because they've already seen that movie. And they will turn it off, you know, in their minds mm-hmm. Early on, to so you'd be wasting our time and the school's time. Sure. So we ran across this program based out of Cincinnati, Ohio, called Drug Free Clubs of America, and it's a a voluntary drug testing reward based system um, that's in I think there's 34 chapters now in Ohio, West Virginia, and in Indiana, and Kentucky. Um, So it's very regional, but there are different things across the country we've heard of. Uh, but this one is, is kind of unique. Um, it's student-led, student-run. By different things across the country, you mean different programs that are similar in nature. Yes, okay. yes. Um, we've heard of, yeah, drug-free yeah. programs that are, have different, uh, yeah. you know, steps to them, different reward systems, and, that, and different ways to measure them. So um, this one seemed like, you know, a fit for us. So we tried it um, for a three- or four-month period. We called it a little trial Let's see if kids would be interested in joining this. And we probably got a 
I don't know, 400 students to join. How many in the school? The school itself, each school, these two schools have probably 1,600 students. So at first, you know, we thought, hey, if you got, you know. That's a big percentage. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. That's it pretty good. Pretty good for a trial um, mm. to, to bring in. So then we said, okay, this, this could work. Let's really push it for the fall. And we got both schools involved. And we ended up with 525 members. And that means these kids have volunteer, volunteered to be drug tested. They pay $20 to be in the club. They carry a, a color photo ID. Your cost on that, the total cost is $37, was it? No, the total cost is 70 Oh, 70 bucks so, yes. per so, student. Okay. Yes, per student. So, so the students pay 20 okay. and each community can make their own you know, right. um, entry fee. Yeah. So whatever they can afford. But Tyler's Light, um, we pay 50 of it. So we have skin in the game with this. Mm-hmm. And we get um, different types of uh, um, funding. Um, from you know around the area, the, whether it's private or public dollars, to to help offset that. But either way, so it's it, it's costly, but it's a really good reward system because it's student run. The students then go to the school and they get rewards from the school. And, and one of the unique ones that Pickerington did is they have uh, the parking spots. We have a thousand cars in our in our parking lot every day, so. The 10 closest parking spots belong to drug-free clubs near the front door. So those kids can, you know, leave home a little bit later. Uh, they don't have to wear a coat, you know. It's Whether it's adverse, whether they, they're, you know, just a few steps from the front door. And every student has to walk by those, you know, preferred parking lots every single day. It's perfect. Perfect stuff. So it's rewarding them. Then they get some, you know, maybe athletic passes, um, maybe the after prom is free to them, or they get a they discount on prom tickets. Different ways to reward them within the schools. Maybe it's a cut line day they can cut, you know, in, in front of everybody else at lunchtime on Fridays. Or maybe one week or one day a month they can get you know, ice cream or popcorn or something from the cafeteria that's different. But it's just unique and, and different for them. Um, then the community buys in. And the businesses discounts to students that carry that ID badge, whether in, in, in our youth or students love free things um, or discounts or two for one. So, you know, places sell subs, pizzas, wings, theaters, where they spend their dollars, um, they get preferred rates, um, you know, and our best one is, is uh, well, I guess I better not say it. Because they don't want to be advertised, <laughs> but anyhow, they have they have great um, discounts from local um, establishments for the students, and so they're getting rewarded for ma- making the right decision. As opposed to our natural way, is wait till they they make a mistake and then let's punish them. Yeah. So that's the 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 uh, the theory behind it. Let's reward you for making the right decisions, and then let's recruit some of your friends to do the same thing. And all of a sudden, you have reversed peer pressure. Because peer pressure right now is overwhelming, and it's to get them to try something you know that's illegal, or maybe it is legal, but you're sharing pharmaceuticals. So we're trying to keep positive reinforcement, positive peer pressure, to keep them from using. But they're going to have to need to be reinforced and rewarded to do it. So it's a simple system of rewarding them for doing something good. And they have an easy, you know, uh, a socially easier, less awkward, I'll call it, way out if they are in that situation Mm -hmm. where they're tempted by a peer 
they could be drug tested tomorrow. Yes, and that's the easiest, and that's that is the real theory behind it. But they wouldn't buy that if I offered it to them as, "Hey, this will help you get out of a tough spot." No, it's that I'm is not the, say that in their out loud. No, voice that's that's the grand theory is our kids will use the number one reason is they get peer pressure, mild peer pressure, sometimes hard peer pressure from friends, not not enemies, um, to try you know drugs and alcohol for the first time. And if we could give them a reason to say no for that very first time, who knows what lives we can change. So this is an easy one for them because most of them don't have enough uh, bravery, backbone, you know, not strong enough. You're among your friends and, you know, you need to go along if you want to maintain friendships with them. So students, teenagers, they want to be part of a group. You don't want to lose your friends, but if you had a reason that, hey, maybe you played sports, maybe you, I can't. My parents and I signed up for the drug-free club. I, I can't because I can be tested tomorrow, and they're out. After a couple more times, the people that are you know pushing this issue, they'll just stop asking because yeah. they know that that student is going to tell me no. So let's just move on. So have you measured or have you been able to measure the effectiveness of this program in two schools? You've got it in two schools right now. Right? Yeah, the two Pickerington schools. Yep. Um, so um, it, uh, we get to see, obviously, it's grown from the first time we offered it to the second. Um, and more kids now, we're going to go into year three, and more and more of them want to be the officers. So they want to... You know, become involved, um, become the leaders. Yes, you want leaders. You want to grow leaders. And this is their program. Yeah. So I can't run it. Tyler's Light can't run it. They have to get this thing going every year. Now, we'll help you fund it. We'll help, you know, we'll create rewards. We'll do other things. This is your program. So it's kind of cool because I just got a text today and it was, uh, I don't know, with the very first day of school, not really the first day, but when they get to go in and, and, and check things out. They had a table, drug-free clubs, and there were 20 or 30 kids giving out literature already wow. for your you know, your new high schoolers. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So they are taking control of the program. That's very exciting. That is. Huh. So um, I should mention we're also at the same time here today doing a video. And um, tell us, tell our listeners just about a little bit about the video that uh, you've uh, uh, invited and assembled a team of people here to participate in it, myself included in that team. So tell us about that, Wayne. We wanted to, we, our, our videos um, got a little dated, especially the uh, statistics, the animation part. So we knew we had to upgrade that, but I've always wanted to make one for parents. You know what to look for. Um, we'd like to create a card or something or something we could hand out also. But, um, and this, you know, this will be viral. It's on YouTube. Um, you know, parents talking to parents. So you can, you know, watch this thing. What to look for. Um, what are some signs that you shouldn't discount? Um, here's some things that you've gone through. And if I had to do it over again, I would have, you know, looked at things differently. So that's really it. Because um, we haven't created one that was specific for parents yet. But now this will really help our parental presentations. But also any business, um, any church can can use the videos also. Say, hey, let's, let's watch two or three of these and they're three minutes a piece. And let's have a little group discussion so anybody can can get a group together and, and get educated without having Tyler's light present. Great. Outstanding. 
Um, we're getting the hook from your video team, so uh, we need to kind of wrap this up. Mm -hmm. But let's. Uh, what what uh, other points, last points, might you have, Wayne, to share with our, our listeners on this podcast? Well, um, you know the stigma is it's very uh, negative towards addiction because most of us don't understand it. Um, but Tyler's Light's motto is "Speak up." If you see this going on with a friend or a relative. Um, it's best to seek help or talk to that person. And then we know that's going to end up in a probably, you know, I got it negative um, response. But take it a step further. Talk to somebody else in authority that may be able to get them some help. Because um, this ends badly. Um, it's a national epidemic. Keeping it silent in our homes will do no good. Every home that had a person battling addiction was in there trying to chisel the the wheel, the recreate the wheel. We're going to fix this and then we're going to get, you know, them back on on track. And then there's a boneyard somewhere in the in the country that's a pile of them that it didn't work out. We lost a child because we were trying to do this in the isolated, you know, um, confines of our home where we could have easily reached out, found some help, found some others already dealing with this, you know, with some knowledge and experience um, and got to them and, and, you know, learned what to do, how to get treatment, what, you know, what's our resources, all those different things. Wow. Well, thanks for having us in today, Wayne. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Greg. It's, uh, it's, it's a great thing that you're doing. Um, I'm glad to be part of it. Um, and you know, we have a lot of work to do to, to get this thing under control. We do, no doubt. Truer words have never been spoken. So we've been visiting today with Wayne Campbell, founder and president of Tyler's Light. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover Two Resources. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And if you know someone who's struggling with addiction or a family that struggles with addiction, please share this podcast. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.